I want to say thank you so much to Daniel and the worship team. It's always a privilege to, to hear them. And, and I want to say thank you to, to you. That's the first time I've heard that perspective of sound coming to the back of my head. And let me just say, that is encouraging. And it gives me more vitality, more energy. I can only imagine what it does for Brother Philip to hear that, to hear the church worshiping, and then you get up to be able to proclaim the Word of God. I want to also say thank you to uh, a couple on the worship team, our, our high school students. You know, sometimes we say, you know, students are the future of the church. No, they are the church. And we saw a little snippet of that today, and God bless our students for serving in so many ways. I saw so many of them out in upward football yesterday, and, and they're, they're constantly serving and serving the Lord. We just, God bless you. Keep it up. I want to say thank you to our pastor for allowing me this opportunity, having confidence in me. Uh, pray for him. He's preaching even as we speak at a church in Georgia. Um, I want to say thank you for so many of you who uh, gave me messages and comments, uh, said you were praying. They said something like this, I'm praying for you. I've heard you speak before. <laughs> it's a bit like Patrick Mahomes encouraging Aaron Rodgers. Hate that man. One comma or one vocal inflection makes a big difference. So we're in uh, Psalm 95. You can start to turn there if you like. A study in worship. As we begin, we must first acknowledge that Scripture speaks to us, and most of us think in terms of worship in two different ways. First, we realize that worship is a continual act of living in obedience to God 24-7. Second, we think of worship as the church's acts of worship, singing, praying, reading Scripture, preaching, when we are gathered together. Both are vital, and each affect the other. Although it seems clear that Psalm 95 speaks to the gathered assembly, it speaks to individuals in warnings and instructions as well. So we'll hear both today. So let's begin with a working definition of what worship is and what it is not. Worship is not music. We had a wonderful time of singing today, but that in and of itself is not worship. That was a tool to guide us to worship. Amen? So it's not vocal or instrumental. God created those mediums to be used, but they're not worship in and of themselves. Now, only a couple minutes into the introduction, and so let me just go ahead and make some enemies right off the bat. Worship is not about style or preference. Ooh, I'm leaving. There's the door. Did God call us to be all unique? Yes. Did He work through nature and nurture to bring us to this point in our lives where we all have certain likes and dislikes? Sure He did. But we err when we assume what I like is best for everyone. And what I dislike... I'd just rather you not use it, right? Long story short, in the category of music, not worship, but music, we are instructed to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and if the Bible gives those equal weight, and it does, then who are we to elevate one over the other? So one of my favorite books on the subject of worship is Real Worship by Warren Wiersbe. He gives us one of the best definitions I've heard a little bit long, but follow along. Here it is. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, 
to what God is and says and does, this response has its mystical side in subjective experience and its practical side in objective obedience to God's revealed will. Worship is a loving response that's balanced by the fear of the Lord, and it is a deepening response as a believer comes to know God better. And what should be the result of all this? Transformation. Where did Wiersbe possibly get this transformation thought? Well, most likely from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If Christ is your Savior... God is in a constant process of transforming you into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. As we think of transformation, someone once said, as the great old hymn says, God wants you to come just as you are, but He never intended you to stay that way. Right? We all know this. Um, so, God's Word, His, worship, His instructions to us, in Psalm 95, and we'll read it. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you humbly. We pray, Lord, that knowing that your goal for us is to be transformed into the image of your dear son, Jesus. We pray that that is our desire as well. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin. Worship is uh, worthy, or God is worthy of our obedient worship. Point number one, how we worship. O come. Come is a command. It's, it's, it's right now. It's not a suggestion. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of importance in the phrase, O come. Who grew up in a neighborhood like mine where kids could come and play in each other's yard? Did you? I, I know in, in my yard, we would play games, and uh, every now and then I'd hear my mom's voice call from an open door or open window. Supper will be ready in 10 minutes. Come on in and wash up. But what mom didn't understand was, 
my team was only down by one touchdown. And I hadn't beaten Jimmy's team in three weeks, and he was about to have to punt. To make matters worse, the cute girl at school would know tomorrow who won the game. And that may swing her vote on whether she liked Jimmy or me. Does any of that ridiculous scenario change my mother's statement, come in? No. Does any of our life's circumstances change God's statement, come to me, worship me? An emphatic no. Y'all are making me nervous. I don't hear a sound. Anyway, <laughs> come, let us. This is for all believers, which includes you and includes me. This speaks to the fact that we are a gathered people. I know where your mind's going. Hebrews 10. Here it is. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love, uh, to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we think about how to stir up one another, how to encourage one another, I think back to uh, last Sunday night, and a big thank you to all the choir members who helped us with one banner, and, and to all you who came to worship with us. If you were, if you were there, you remember the worship pastor that sang the, the last solo. His name was Shockey Thornton. He's from Kansas City. He was seated right there on the front row. And now I couldn't see or hear this, but Cammie could, and she told me the story afterwards. When How Excellent, the third song, began, and the orchestra swelled to a mighty crescendo, and our ensemble, who was there on the front steps, began to sing, Oh, Lord. She could hear Shockey say, mm, You better sing it. <laughs> and then we continued, How excellent. Excellent. And you could hear Shockey say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that FBCO become a black gospel church. But I am saying, and more importantly, Scripture is saying, stir up one another, encourage one another in love and in good works. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, okay? Uh, listen close. This is the hardest part of the, the message. In Hebrew, sing to the Lord reads like this. Sing to the Lord. <laughs> if it's easy, just let's just let it be easy, right? <laughs> Ephesians 9, uh, uh, 5, 19. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is such an important verse that Paul repeats it in his writing to the church of Colossae, chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Moving on in verse 1, make a joyful noise. Other translations say, shout joyfully, shout aloud. In 1 Chronicles 15, 16, on the occasion that the Ark of the Covenant is brought back into Jerusalem, it says, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who could play loudly on musical instruments, 
on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. On another occasion, the rebuilding of the wall in Nehemiah 12, 43, it says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. To whom is our worship due? The answer is at the conclusion of verse 1, to the rock of our salvation. Now David could have identified Yahweh in a multitude of ways, but he carefully chose the title rock of our salvation. Certainty, the Savior, the only one who has the power to take a soul that was dead and make it alive. Now you're thinking, that was just verse 1. We're in trouble. No, it gets quicker. (laughs) Verse 2, let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. We worship as ones who are thankful. Not, my neighbor let me borrow some gas so I could finish mowing the yard thankful. There's a level of thanksgiving there. But, as someone who, who I was on death row due to crimes I was proven guilty of and should by law die for, but someone came and took my place and paid my penalty so that I may go free thankful. Refers back to the rock of our salvation, right? Verse 1. The latter is a level of thanksgiving we should have, but I fear too often in our comfortable 21st century church, we come into His presence with my neighbor loan me some gas, thankful. I've done it. You've done it. Now we know better. Let's not do it again. Amen? And verse 2 continues, let's make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. Yet another reminder, to make a joyful noise, to shout joyfully, to shout aloud. How does Scripture often emphasize something? Repetition. David is telling us here that this is important to God. Point two, whom do we worship? Verse three, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. No one above him. At the time of his death in 1976, Howard Hughes was one of, if not the wealthiest persons in the world. He owned multiple Las Vegas casinos. His company's public Uh, relations director, asked those casinos to show him respect by giving him a minute of silence. For an uncomfortable 60 seconds, the casinos fell eerily silent. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward, and whispered, okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. Is it possible that sometimes we treat God as those gamblers in Vegas? treated Howard Hughes. We, interpret, uh, we, we interrupt our busy schedules once a week, rush into church, give God His hour, and then forget about Him and get back to what we'd rather be doing. We should never, ever succumb to the temptation to do this. If we do, we've completely missed the point of verse 3, for He is a great God, a great King above all gods. 
Verse 4 and 5 continues with whom we worship. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the, heaven, the, heights of the mountains are his also, the seas are his, for he made them, and his hands formed the dry land. The very first 25 verses of Holy Scripture, Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to speak of God's power in the creation of the world. Then, in verses 26 and 27, includes His most unique creation, a creation He says He made in His own image, humankind, you and I. Well, you say, I know some people that are a little bit shaky about believing Genesis, you know, old earth, new earth theory and all that. Well, number one, Genesis 1.1 is just as reliable as John 3.16. But just for further proof, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, in the beginning uh, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Doubt verse 3, that God is a, that the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Just look at His omnipotence displayed in creation. Verse 6 goes on to say, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Once again, we hear the command repeated, O come. Is David driving home a point here? I believe so. God prompted him to start with this command. Now God is prompting him to repeat this command. It's important. Come worship God. And let us, again, repeated. In fact, it's the sixth time in um, this chapter that it's repeated. Many years ago, the, the choir was rehearsing a song entitled, Let Us Rejoice. So, some of you are out there, you remember this. As you could imagine, it was very much about worship. And many phrases begin with, let us rejoice, let us sing, let us praise, let us worship, let us, etc. A few weeks later... Several choir members caught me uh, before choir rehearsal and said, Hey, are we singing the salad song tonight? What? You know, the, the salad song. Let us, let us, let us, let us. <laughs> we all got a good laugh out of that. But on a serious note, I seldom eat a salad anymore without remembering that story and also remembering God has commanded us to worship and to worship together. I hope that rings true for you for the rest of your life every time you eat a salad. Verse 6 goes on to say that worship is bowing down and kneeling before the Lord. The Old Testament Hebrew word for worship here is shakah, to depress, to prostrate, all the way face down to the ground, oneself as an act of homage to royalty. The New Testament Greek word is proskuneo, carries the same uh, a very similar meaning. Uh, who has seen uh, Sight and Sounds Queen Esther? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you. Uh, well, I know, I know I can account for 67 of you because we took you uh, when the seniors went to last month to, to see it. Um, what happened every time, every time King Xerxes entered the room? Everyone immediately stopped what they were doing and made absolutely certain that what? That their head was below the head of the king. 
They lived by a code that said, I always, without exception, I always honor the king. Now, yes, in that Persian culture, they knew if they didn't lower their head, it may be lowered for them, possibly detached from their bodies, but it would be lowered. Consider uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We tend to picture this as all the redeemed, Bowing before King Jesus, imagining our our glorious eternity that we'll spend with Him. And that's true. But remember, it's very clear that every knee, not just His followers, every knee will bow. Revelation 6, we read about the final judgment upon the earth. Verses 15 through 17 speaks of the opening of the seventh seal. It says... And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day uh, of of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Good advice. Practice obedient Shekah, proskuneo, bowing, worshiping before your loving Savior now, before you're forced to do it by a wrathful God later. We continue with verse 7. For He is our God, and we are His people, we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. So here, God moves from verse 3, He is a great God to He is our God, an expression of personal relationship and intimacy. A great old 19th century hymn depicts this. Loved with an everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Gracious Spirit from above, Thou hast taught me, it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine, in a love that cannot cease, I am His and He is mine. In a love that cannot cease, I am His and He is mine. Those of you who have repented of your sin, believed in His Son, and can say with the psalmist, He is our God. Verse 7 goes on, people of His pasture, sheep of His hand. James Montgomery Boyce notes, this passage Uh, This passage uses God's relationship to His people as a second reason why we should worship God and a reason for the psalm's second call to worship in verse 6. Here, the worship of God is made personal, for we are reminded that God not only made the caves and the mountains, the seas and the dry land, He made us too. What is more, He cares for us. He cares for us if we are numbered among His people. Using a common but beautiful pastoral uh, image, the psalmist says that we are God's sheep, the flock under His care. What Christian can read this without thinking of Jesus' words in John 10, verse 11? I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. And now in verse uh, 7 of Psalm 95, we take a a very stark transition right in the middle of verse 7. Point 3, a warning to those who reject worship. Today, if you hear His voice, not when, the message is crystal clear, today. Spurgeon said, this is the uniform time and tense of the Holy Ghost's exhortations. He saith nothing about tomorrow except to forbid our boasting of it, since we know not what a day shall bring. All His instructions are set to the time and tune of today, today, today. Today, if you hear His voice. I don't know where this uh, uh, phrase came from. I couldn't track it down. But I read this, and I think it rings true of Scripture. I heard, uh, it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want Him to say. Let me say that again. It's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want Him to say. Is it just me or are there others out there that just in their mind said, ouch, we do it, don't we? David uses if you hear His voice, not when you hear His voice. Why wouldn't we hear His voice? Because we too often choose to ignore the main way to hear His voice. Amen? That's where you're going to hear His voice the loudest and the clearest. We must open His Word and read. We must bring His Word to church and follow along as teaching and preaching take place. Worship begins and ends with the Word of God. Without the Word, there is no worship. Or better stated, without the Word, there is no worship of the one true God. Without the the Word, our hearts will wander and we will worship something or someone else. And then verse 8 goes on to say, Do not harden your hearts. In Matthew's Gospel, he says in chapter 15, 8 and 9, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. That's harsh. And Matthew takes this from a quote that Isaiah gave in, uh, he'd already recorded in chapter 29 of Isaiah. Chapter, or verse 8 goes on to say, As at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. David said, don't harden your hearts like the people did at Meribah and Massa. Now, most scholars believe that these are two names for the same place. This scene takes place in Exodus 17, when the Israelites had uh, traveled to Rephidim, found no water there, and became very thirsty. Moses named the place Meribah, meaning quarreling, and Massa, meaning testing, because they were quarreling with Moses and testing God. At one point, Moses told God that he thought the people were about to stone him to death. 
the people even had the audacity to say, the audacity to say, after the deliverance of Pharaoh, from Pharaoh, after God parted the Red Sea, after they walked across on dry land, after God destroyed Pharaoh's army, after being fed by God from heaven, they had the audacity to say, is the Lord among us or not? I got to confess, my, some people call it sanctified imagination. Maybe you have one too. As you're reading scripture, you imagine the way it could be. Uh, my sanctified imagination took this phrase and ran with it. I, I can just picture Moses saying, hey, hey, come closer. Did, did, did you say, is God among us or not? I can just see Moses doing his best Denzel Washington impersonation in the football movie, Remember the Titans. Remember, the young man was whining about being tired and thirsty, and the coach says, boy, you must be outside your mind. Does this lack of faith remind you of anybody? Well, if we're being honest, it reminds us of us, doesn't it? You and me. We can all be outside our minds at times because we forget. We just sang, we will remember. Uh, Got to pause just a minute here. I, I, I took an opportunity to come. I wanted to listen to worship practice just to prepare my heart. And... Uh, uh, so it's, it's everything I can do right now to, to resist the temptation to add about 20 minutes worth of content that I went through my mind as, as I was going through that worship rehearsal and listening to the group. So I promise. And by the way, the Chiefs don't really start till the middle of the third quarter anyway. So <laughs> so we sang, we will remember. So we, we should remember, right? We must remember. Remember, we better remember, lest we wind up like the wilderness generation and we face God's wrath. Verse 10 continues, For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Alexander McLaren says of verse 10, The desert wanderings were but a symbol as they were a consequence of their wanderings in heart. They did not know His ways, therefore they chose their own. Verse 11 says, Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So remember again our Old Testament history, 40 years of wanderings now comes to Numbers 13. Twelve spies are chosen to scout out Canaan, what God has, had promised them as the promised land. They did, and they came back with conflicting reports. Ten spies said, the land isn't that great, and the people living there can crush us like bugs. Caleb and Joshua said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome. And yes, the people are big, but God has promised us a victory, so what are we waiting for? The people refused to go in, incurring God's wrath, and that generation continued to wander in the wilderness for the remainder of those 40 years until all of them had died, except guess which two? Caleb and Joshua. And only then did God open the door for Israel to enter into the promised land. Now Psalm 95 is quoted ten times 
in the New Testament, all found in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. And here's the, here's the comparison. Uh, by the way, the, the book of Hebrews, uh, Brother Philip will be starting on that next week. And so we've made available for you to purchase uh, some little Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew uh, text of Scripture is in one book with a big wide margin you can take notes in. Okay, So they're out there in the, uh, in the Connection Center. If you want one of those, go ahead and grab one and be ready for next week. So in Hebrews, we see in, in, verses, or in chapters 3 and 4, we see some parallels to uh, Psalm 95. In the Old Testament, God, uh, entering God's rest was entering Canaan, in, entering the land that God had promised them. Our entering God's rest is an eternal relationship with Him by grace through faith in His Son Jesus, right? Great hymns are written on this theme. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. Where is Jordan? It's on the other side of the river of the promised land, right? To Canaan's fair, to, to the promised land, to Canaan's fair and happy land were my possessions. God said He's going to give it to us. My possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. F.B. Meyer says of 95.11, Everyone comes in the Christian life, once at least, to Kadesh Barnea, the place of, Rome, of uh, Numbers 13. On the one hand, the land of rest and victory. On the other, desert wastes. The balance quivering between the two is turned this way by faith and that by unbelief. Trust God and rest. Mistrust Him and the door closes on rest and opens to wanderings, failure, and defeat. Some today may know that you're a child of God. You know the sound of His voice, and you're attempting to listen, and you're attempting to follow it daily. But you're struggling. You feel the weight of being a person of faith and finding rest in God, or, as F.B. Meyer said, giving in to unbelief and suffering the consequences of failure and defeat. Others may say, I can't say I've ever really heard God's voice. By the way, I'm, I'm not referring to a physical voice that you hear with your ear. I've, I've certainly never heard that. Some of you say you have, and that's, that's your personal experience. I've never heard that. Uh, but you know when you hear it. Amen? And, uh, and so you may say, I, I've never heard that voice. But you know what? I may be hearing it right now. Well, that's God calling you to repent and believe and follow Him. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name. Others may have a question about the church, baptism, church membership. Others may want to come and pray about an item that God has put on your heart. So we're about to start with the invitation just now. And as we do, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we begin this study with the idea that true worship would lead to transformation. 
would lead into conforming into the image of you, dear Jesus. And so, Lord, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who they know you, but they, they know they're struggling, they, they just know they need uh, to do, do business at the altar with you, Lord, uh, we'd, let's just, we just encourage them to come and pray and, and ask your blessing on their life, ask your direction on their life. Lord, we, uh, for those who don't know you, but yet right now they think they're hearing you, that is your call to turn from sin, to repent and believe and become a child of God. Lord, we pray for them. And Lord, we just uh, ask that you touch us each and every one in only the way you can and guide us in only the way, the unique way that each and every one of us need uh, to, to make a decision for you today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Daniel leads us in this song, and uh, by the way, look at what you're about to say. Lord, I come. Command, right? I come. I confess. Bowing here, shakah, proskaneo, I am going to honor you, God. And if I do, I find my rest. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here. I find my rest And without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every Oh God, how I need you Where sin runs deep Your grace is more Where grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Well, God bless you all for being here today, following along. Uh, I, I, I did not unload all 35 or 34 years of frustrations. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll have another chance to do that. Uh, but God bless you. Uh, uh, do remember, come, come tonight. This is a big deal to support a, a mission uh, church in, in St. Louis. Uh, Blake, am, am I understand that uh, th- this is an area that hasn't had a, a new church start in a long time? 
We're going to go a long time. And, and, and so this is a great opportunity. So come tonight, hear Brother John. Another quick plug, um, it was awesome to gather together as a body again on Wednesday nights around the table and eat together and fellowship together. And uh, so that just restarted. And remember, that's not automatic. You do have to sign up for that. Uh, so, so enough food to be prepared. So go to the Connection Center and uh, reserve your meal if you're coming to Wednesday night. We hope you can. Okay? God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Let's sing this together as we go. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave.